0: Hi, this is a podcast for the best bits of The Breakfasters for the week ending June 26. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, you are going to hear us because we're back from holidays and that's what we <laughs> talked about as well. Uh, it's very nice to be back. And uh, we also had a chat to Adam Hills about uh, the new comedy night at Easy Comedy.
1: Uh, also, we talked about my um, really sad night at a hotel during my holidays, and um, I we met uh, Giovanni and Michaela. Who are they? Let's find out.
2: <laughs> um, some guests swung by. We chatted to author and writer Sophie Cunningham uh, about her meandering essay on COVID and climate change, uh, Shalina Musk. Is a lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre. We spoke to her about the Raise the Age campaign about kids in prison. And we also spoke to Muriel Bamblett, CEO of VACA, about Host of Morning Tea for Culture.
3: Melbourne's own. Triple R.
1: So nice to be back from holidays. Um, I had a um, pretty low key one. I went to, um, I drove to, to Albury to see my parents, um, stayed with mum, and um, which was fun, and we went and saw dad one day, which is cool. Um, and, yeah, just had a really kind of low-key, didn't do much, did a <laughs> bit of work and whatnot, and here we are back at work. What
0: did you do mm. with yeah. your mum? Did she cook you dinner or did you go out for dinner or did you go out on the and town? And she
1: made me my favourite dinner. You know, like, I, like I drove up on the Tuesday Um, and, you know, got there, like, late in the afternoon. And my sister, um, who lives nearby, she came over for dinner as well, and mum made my favourite chicken friggissey. Yum, yum,
2: yum. Oh, It on. Yeah.
1: Because on
2: our last day... Um, before the break, Sarah said Geraldine and I called us pale faced and drained. <laughs> Did
0: I? God, yeah. I'm so sorry, I'm such a bitch when I've died.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna write that down.
2: <laughs> I, I hope there's been an improvement. I, I yeah, I think it's been it's been. Look, I I was so excited. I, I even had fun at the dentist. Oh, oh, really? Oh, yeah, that's right. That
1: was your big activity. You are going to the dentist. <laughs> what are you doing on the holiday? Sarah's going five nights away. Daniel's going to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no.
2: Uh, but, yeah, I you know, and also it was so interesting to, uh, you know, have all these COVID catch-ups because I didn't realise, obviously, that we were living high on the hog or, like, on the coronavirus yeah. hog,
0: like, catching up with way more than five people. Oh, Oh. you didn't realize you weren't meant to be. The reason
1: why we've gone back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. Uh,
2: But yeah, (laughs) it was. Yeah, it was. I've. Yeah, I am refreshed. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's so good to see you. (laughs) I was actually in Frankston on Saturday having breakfast with a friend. Really? Yeah, it took me to the second half of the holiday to want to see friends. I had a dinner. Yesterday, a roast with four friends, and on Saturday I went to Frankston, South Frankston. Apparently, that's the fancy part. Oh yeah, Maniliza North. Ah, oh. <laughs> I was <laughs> learning that when I was there. Uh, beautiful area, and I had um, I went into a cafe for the first time in three or four months and uh, signed in. And sat down, and it was probably. I actually said to Andrew later, I was like, I think that's the happiest I've felt all holidays. And he goes, We went away for five nights to Y River together, and had a really good time. And you've just told me that going to a cafe in Frankston was the happiest you felt. But it was just yeah, to be. It, it was just sitting down and being served
1: there scrambled was a eggs. Of your old life. It was.
0: Yeah. Oh, right? it was
2: amazing. Uh, I went to a cafe and they had, maybe this is, everyone knows this already, but to, to sign in, you know those square barcodes? No. Yes, so uh, that you, you
1: have to, to order from.
2: Well, yeah, or, or like they pop up around town, but, yeah, you hold up your oh, you camera hold your phone, your over phone it. and mm. it registers the bar- and then it sends you to a website to register your table number. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. yeah, it yeah, it was a bit much. It was like, all right, the future's now and I'm not wrapped about it.
1: Because I went to a cafe and had that where you just ordered from that square thing. So you'd, you'd, you'd go and get your table, you'd sit down, and then you'd hold your phone up and go, oh, there's the menu, and then you'd order it and pay for it and it's done, and then your food comes out. And I'm like, that's the way of the future. I want that. That is right. genius. But it needs a, it needs a, a tip button. That didn't come oh, up. Oh, yeah. No oh, one wants cash. How, yeah. do we, how do we tip? They don't want our dirty cash.
2: Yeah. I want to give them a tip. Yeah. Also, they they boot you out. Like, because I overstay my welcome in cafes and so I can get the hint. Like, they'll say, do you want another coffee? And I'll go,
0: yeah. And go, take away. And I'm like, oh, all
1: right, fine. <laughs> oh, I, that's the
0: only thing I couldn't do. I couldn't relax because I was w- looking at people going – is this, at a, is this a reasonable amount of time that I've spent here? So I had a really good yeah. time. But then I went, as soon as I finished the last sip of my coffee, I went, all right, let's go. Because I, like, I didn't want to give them a chance. I didn't want to get that line, uh, yeah, the wind-up yeah. line. When we went to Y River, well, we were staying down at Kennet River for five nights and it was so friggin' beautiful down there. And we booked a uh, night at, the Y River Pub and booked in a Palmer for five thirty PM down there on a Saturday, and That's right. oh man, it, it. Other than the cafe, that Palmer, I don't think I've eaten a Palmer like that in my life. Like it was, I, wow. I looked like one of the old creepy judges from MasterChef. Like I was so, <laughs> I just chewed that chicken like I haven't chewed a chicken in a while. It was beautiful and had a very good time. Anyway, that we, was all. Last
1: night, um, for, we ordered takeaway from the pub last night because no oh. pubs near here that are, um, well, yeah, that we none that we could get into. I don't think there's any pubs open yet. Um, so we ordered from the pub, and it was like I was looking at the Palmer, going, like I want a Palmer, but I don't want a Palmer after we've driven for half an hour to oh, get it. Yeah. Like it's. You know, and it was like, is that going to be, like, will that be, I'm like, no, nah, just save it. I'll save it for when I'm sitting in a pub and I can eat a palmer with a pint of beer. a good it. idea. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: I think that restraint's valuable. I, I can't believe you went to a Franks and Cafe didn't tell me. I'm just so,
0: I know, know. You know what?
2: I'll, when I was I've One expertise.
0: <laughs> when I was there, I was like, should I text Daniel? I wonder if he's around. But I wasn't sure where you were in the world at that stage. Uh, me either. I mean, that's another thing because I've, I've relocated from uh, where
2: I was uh, on the, you know, near Dramana or in And it was quite, it's quite, it's been quite emotional. The relocation. I mean, back home. Well, yeah, I mean, because I was living, I was living with Jesse's folks, and yes. you know, and they got to see Gabriel every day, and you know, it's nice having
1: people around you, and it is all those fancy is. meals that you got every day. <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, now it's back to mac and cheese, and I, I can't even do mac and cheese, but I. It's, uh, but yeah, it's it's it was it was very refreshing. Went to Riponley Estate yesterday as well, just for a wander. How beautiful, isn't it? Though, my God, Uh, do they shoot movies there? Because they should. It's possible they did a few episodes of Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries or whatever the hell. But. God, it's stunning. Yeah, it's it is, gorgeous. It? Were there many people there? Was it packed? No, or was it... no. Oh. Everywhere I've been, it's been absolutely deathly quiet. And they did warn me. They said, they said, watch out, because uh, the lake is covered in weeds or whatever the green stuff is. Mm. So they said, Algae? don't, don't step on it, basically. Oh. And and I and I was like, and, and so I said it to Jesse, and Jesse's like, well, we're not idiots. How stupid do you have to be? And I swear to God, if I wasn't warned. Really, oh. <laughs> oh, it was it was that it looked that solid, and you could see ducks sitting. on, Anyway, whatever, uh, and uh, I've seen people fall into lakes. I can't believe
0: no one's at Ripon Lee <laughs> as well. What? What? Like people are everywhere. Why are they not going there? I thought that would be packed. You, I think you're right. I mean, the weather wasn't great, although it
2: was. It didn't rain or anything. It was. It the aquarium was empty. Oh, you How was the aquarium? Oh, the aquarium really was quite special. Really, but I've I've one. It was maybe it's the time that I realised. I think it was the penny drop that I'm a dad, because despite all the amazing fish and all the you know sea life and every, I was most excited about getting a good park. And I'm just so. Oh, (laughs) mate. Like you- I, I got a discount. <laughs> like I worked it all out. Uh, it was a short walk. I was, I was, I was, oh, did you
1: pre-book your parking?
2: <laughs> no, I just sussed out where to go, and and you know I got I got like forty
0: dollars off because
2: I, I was Whoa. just I, I'm so upset that I was so proud of it.
0: Nah, I reckon, that, um, I reckon that's a good. I that's a milestone in becoming a dad. And if yeah. the next step is using vouchers to get into the aquarium. <laughs>
1: Well, call me a dad because one of the highlights of <laughs> my holiday, what I was, I took, I had to take mum to the shops, and we went to the shopping centre, underground car park, and got a park like right next to the door, and I was like, mum, what, what did is, she, this did is, she pray to Saint Anthony? No, I just didn't need to. Just came up. was just there. I'm like, Mum, look at this. Is this a disabled parking? She goes, No, nah, it's not enough room here. Like it's I mean, but it's it's right next to the door. It's right next to the door, Mum. And she's like, No, but there's not enough room for them to get out. So they put the disabled parking down the other end. I'm like, Jesus. It's ridiculous. I can't believe this park. This is the best park in the world. And then I made Mum sit there and I took a photo with like the shop door in the background to show everyone how great this car park was and then the next day I went back I had to go get something from my sister I went back, same bloody car park two days in a row What a great holiday <laughs> You truly had the shittest holiday and I love that story so much
4: <laughs> Independently yours, Triple R 102.7
2: Adam Hills is the BAFTA and five-time Gold Logie-nominated host of Spicks and Specks, The Last Leg, and Adam Hills Tonight, whose globe-trotting, decades-long success as a stand-up sees him back in Melbourne. You can catch him every Thursday night, hosting Collingwood's Easy Comedy, now via Zoom, and to tell us about it, the comedian and, according to Australia Post, official Australian legend joins us <laughs> on the line now. Adam, welcome to Breakfasters.
3: Uh, morning. I'm, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with the word legend. I... Especially when you see the other people that were on it were Nolene Brown, Gary McDonald, and Magda Jabanski. I'm kind of wondering if they if they misspelt leg end, and that's the way I got on. <laughs> uh,
2: so lockdown restrictions in Victoria have been reimposed. You're a famously sunny character. What's been your approach to isolation?
3: I'm I'm also, I'm a homebody. So weirdly, I've been absolutely loving having no reason to go out of the house and in fact having an excuse to stay at home um although i am so i, I guess for me i'm just enjoying hanging out at home i'm hang, i'm enjoying hanging out with my kids i was meant to be back in london right now so any chance any moment i get with my kids um i'm kind of savoring but also i really need to talk to an adult yeah. <laughs> You and i keep forgetting getting and every now and then like last night over dinner like okay so for example it's my it's my 50th in a couple of weeks time and originally i was going to be celebrating my 50th in london but you know things as they are we thought okay well maybe maybe i'll maybe we'll go for a drive up to sydney because that's where i grew up that's where my mum is it's where you know most of my childhood friends are and then of course the restrictions changed in victoria over the weekend so then we started to think oh should we really be traveling mm-hmm. my point is I decided to kind of try and have a conversation with my daughters about this over the table last night, thinking that they're adults and they're not adults. They don't care. They could not care less. Oh my God. Uh, What, what, what
2: is the, uh, what are you going to do? Do you miss London?
3: I do. Yeah. I mean, look again, I've got that double edged sword going on. I I miss my kids when I'm over there, when I'm making the last leg. So I'm Mm. loving being around them, but I mean, I probably don't miss London at the moment because it sounds like, you know, when I left London, what, the 20th of March, they'd only had 140 people die from COVID Mm. and they're now up to 40,000. So I'm not not too stressed about not being over there at the moment, but I miss what London is when it's in full swing. I miss the West End. I miss the the amount of shows that are going on. I miss the excitement of just being in London. So I've kind of got this, I've got this weird thing going on where I'm happy to be, to have time at home, especially with my daughters and my wife, but on the other hand, I'm missing this amazing life that, you know, the, the week before I left London, I was hosting an event with Prince Charles, and wow. a couple of months oh. before that, I was at Buckingham Palace chatting to Prince Harry about rugby league. Oh so, God,
0: what, what are they like? How's that for a
1: name (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: drop? Prince Charles was hilarious because it was, it was as we now know, it was pretty much the day before he caught COVID or it might've even been the night that he caught COVID. Um, And I went to shake his hand and he kind of stopped and I went, Oh, should we? And he, he gave me the old namaste signal and then said, I'm, I'm told we shouldn't, we shouldn't shake hands. And I said, yes, you're probably right. And he said, I'm told it's going to get worse. Is that right? And I thought, if you, if, why are you asking me? If they're telling the guy off the telly before Prince Charles, then they've got their priorities wrong. Oh.
2: oh. <laughs> you, were the, you were potentially the start of a cluster there. We we don't know. Uh, listen,
3: I, I considered not going to that event because I was feeling a bit under the weather that day. So <laughs> I'm, i really am quite worried that I might oh, that's have given amazing. It. I'm worried, but also hopeful that that's my claim to fame. That I can <laughs> <moment. laughs>
2: Can you can you speak to staying across issues in Australia and? the uk because you straddle both so comprehensively is it is it ever difficult to have your finger on the pulse uh, you know in different hemispheres
3: it is very weird because there's there's kind of an assumption i mean look the, the last leg is being made in the uk it's made for a uk audience ostensibly so we've we've got to cover what's going on in britain but i always whenever i'm Say, for example, I'm mentioning someone like Rishi Sunak, who is the Chancellor. Now, I know that an Australian audience won't know that he's the Chancellor. So I'll always just add that in there. And a couple of times, the other guys on the panel have mocked me but you know, I'll (laughs) say opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn. And they're like, we know who Jeremy Corbyn is. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, yeah, but people in Australia don't. (laughs) Um, On the other side of the coin, though, you know, if something big is happening in Australia, no one in Britain... Honestly, cares about it. The, on, yeah. the only Australian stories that make it on the last leg are if, you know, if a kangaroo found the cure to cancer, they would love that. <laughs> oh, I'd love that. <laughs> Actually, no, that's a good point. That's probably not. No, if if a guy, and I think this has been on the last leg, if a guy wearing only his shorts chased a burglar down the street at two a.m. And he had a mullet, <laughs> then that would make it to brief news.
2: That's right, and he reenacted it for the cameras as well. Mm. Do you do yes. you miss your do you miss your time in radio? Uh, you know, because your your memoir had you know was littered with anecdotes about SAFM. Yeah, and I was I was also uh, shocked to learn that you you're partly responsible for the Adelaide Crows theme song.
3: Ah, <laughs> yes. So. Yeah, when I when I first moved to Adelaide to host radio over there, the, the theme song for the Crows was "Here we go, here we go, Camry Crows, here we go, here." We, it was it wasn't it's really stirring. Um, so we had an on-air competition uh, at the radio station I worked at to come up with a new theme song for the Crows, and there is a bit of tension over this because the, the I think general manager or the CEO of the Crows uh, claims that he came up with it, but. I remember the the lyrics being sent into us, and our producer staying up all night so that he could produce up a song, and we got Jim Keyes from Masters Apprentices to sing it. Um, so I'm pretty sure that yeah, I'm I'm partly responsible for the Adelaide Crows theme song. <laughs> Do you
1: remember how it goes?
3: Oh, it's yeah. It was uh, where the pride of South Australia, where the mighty Adelaide Crows.
1: <laughs> and uh, if you don't know who the players are, then you ask someone that knows. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god, Adam! You've also had some time getting the band back together for spicks and Specs recently as well. What was that? All was that filmed pre-COVID? Like, what, what's that experience been like as well?
3: Yeah, it's very strange. So we did that in. October october last year we filmed four specials we did a an Oz music special and then a 90s a 2000s and a 2010s special um the last of which has yet to go to air so it is i mean at the time and i had a ridiculous beard because i'd been growing a stupid beard for brexit and we kind of <laughs> knew that we were worried about the continuity thinking oh is this going to look weird when this goes to where i'm going to have a beard but i probably won't have a beard in real life not knowing that that continuity is now the least of our issues. Yes, really. <laughs> you know, at no point did anyone in production say, "Is it going to look weird that we have a live audience?" <laughs> is it going to look weird that we occasion that we are sitting less than a meter away from each other? So, I mean, there's now talk of possibly doing some more. Now that I've got a massive gaping hole in my diary, there's there's a chance that we might be able to make some more specs and specs this year. But if we do. We've got to find a way of making it socially distanced. You know, it's – the show used to be three people crowded around a buzzer and I think it would be a very sad, tragic, weird irony if, if, if COVID was passed on by a buzzer on a game show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
1: Can we talk about um, comedy and live audiences and um, – like easy comedy is coming back. There is going to be an audience there, but it's also going to be on zoom. How important to you is a live audience?
3: Oh man. I mean this, this whole time I've been asked to do various bits and pieces on zoom and I've, I've shied away as much as possible because what I do is, is talk to a live audience. Like Mm. I, I, and, and you know, I'd love to think that I'm confident enough that I could pull off being funny without, instant feedback from a room full of strangers but i need instant approval otherwise i don't know if i'm being funny so um so when the the opportunity came up to host some shows that we'll only have an audience of about 15 people i think but hey you know i've done the edinburgh fringe festival we've all done comedy festivals where we've played audiences of 15 people and often mm. they can be the most fun That's um, a good
1: night <laughs> You know. Yeah, it's a great old night. When you're first starting out, 15, that's huge.
3: <laughs> I did four one night in Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. <laughs> Loved them. Got to know each yeah. of their names. One of the best shows I've ever had. Yeah. Gave them a lift home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so so we're going to run a bunch of nights uh, at, at Easy, Easy Comedy, Easy Street um, Theatre here in uh, Melbourne, but... They're going to be, you can watch them on Zoom and they, I think what's going to be good about them is because there will be an audience in the room, they'll still have that feeling of a live gig. In fact, what you'll get is the feeling of, as you say, when people started out, but it will be, you know, people like, you know, Cal Wilson, Tom Ballard, um, Dilruk Jayasena, like well-known names, mm. performing to 15 people, but doing a stand-up set and you can watch it on Zoom. So hopefully it's going to combine the best of all the worlds.
2: Mm. Is there, is, do you, have you thought about, like, if you looked back, do you reflect much on your career? Like I'm thinking about seeing Hannah on Adam Hills Tonight and, you know, all the people that you've met over your life who have sort of kicked on and exploded and, you know, Prince Charles. Do you, not that you're responsible for Prince Charles's Charles' success in any way. <laughs> But do you do you do you pinch yourself ever, or is it a is it like I'm I'm too busy in the middle of this uh, to reflect?
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess I think when we finished specs and specs, to answer your question in a long roundabout way, when we finished specs and specs, someone said to me, "It's not until you finish a thing that you look back on it and you realise what you did," hmm. because whilst we were making specs and specs no matter how well an episode well went or how well it rated, we'd still have to make another one the following week. And I think I kind of feel the same way about stand-up. You're only as good as your next gig, really. Um, so, which is, I've never actually said that sentence before, but that really sums up stand-up. You know, most mm. people would think you're only as good as your last gig. But I think for a comedian, you're only as good as your next gig because you're always thinking, what's the next one going to be? You know, mm. there's a great old story of Tony Hancock sitting depressed after nailing a half-hour TV show in Australia. And someone said, why are you so depressed? That is possibly the best half-hour of television anyone's ever seen. And his answer was, yeah, but how am I going to top it? (laughs) (laughs) Goodness gracious. As a comedian, you're always thinking about your next gig. So I, I rarely sit back and reflect. It's only every now and again, like I did an interview on English radio recently and someone said, is Hannah Gadsby a big inspiration for you? And I was like, what? I
2: <laughs> <laughs> Well, Adam Hills' next gig is live from Collingwood. Easy comedy back this Thursday, 25th of June at 7pm via Zoom. You can head to comedy.com.au for tickets and details. And we've been speaking to a uh, TV host, radio star and uh, object of philately fetishists at uh, Adam Hills. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for talking with
3: us. Thank- I've never heard the words philately fetters just in <laughs> the <sentence. Thank> you <laughs> Triple <That's right. laughs> R, R-
2: the Victorian Aboriginal Childcare Agency has been protecting and promoting the rights of Aboriginal children, their families and communities for over 40 years. And this year, as part of that commitment, the Morning Tea for Culture is back to tell us how Victorians can help learn more about culture and fundraise for cultural programs. We're joined by Jar Jar and Yorta Yorta Woman, and for 21 years, CEO of VACA, the one and only Muriel Bamblett. Muriel, welcome back to Breakfasters.
5: Oh, thank you very much for having me, and I really want to say a big thank you to the three triple R listeners for all their support, and obviously thank you very much for um, you know sponsoring the morning tea for culture campaign. Every year we do this um, and every year we're able to do things, work with kids in communities, connect them to culture, things that are, children have never had a connection with their families and communities. We're actually returning them to land and it's an amazing time. And I guess during COVID-19, we're still doing that. work. Yeah. So the fact well, that you support us, we really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you for making time for us because you were our final guest in the studio last year, and we didn't know at the time that was a luxury. <laughs> um, can you bring us? Can you bring us up to speed on? <laughs> can, you, can you bring us up to speed on your twenty twenty and what issues isolation and the pandemic has presented for you and your work?
5: Yeah, well, we have like 600 um, staff all over, you know, Victoria. And so we service, you know, um, nearly 2,000 children ourselves. And so over 6,000 people come in and see us for emergency relief and support. So all of a sudden, you know, your doors are not open. And so it was really, really challenging. We had to work out how people were going to work from home. How do we service our clients? How do we service high-risk children? Family violence, justice, homelessness, all those areas. And so, it, but one of the things that was most amazing is that we didn't have to do it alone. All of a sudden, the Aboriginal communities, they were, you know, up and volunteering. They set up Facebook pages. We had community doing food dropouts, finding food for people that couldn't source food. And so, I think community activation, as I, you know, said before to you, is the one thing that you, at times like these, that really pitch in because I don't believe as organisations we could have done it by ourselves. And so it, it, we're still struggling and many of our staff are working from home and so, um, you know, they, they had to go through the, the trials of getting their own children to school, looking after our children and getting our children in care into school and supporting them and carers. We've got an ageing workforce as well and so we had the bulk, you know, at-risk staff as well as Um, staff with immune deficiencies we had to look after. So it's a complex area, really, really complex area. But I think the challenge now is to think about how do we transition back? Um, We've had a bit of a, you know, I I guess stop at the moment, but we really do need to consider what does that look like? And I think that's that's going to challenge every um, organisation because going into COVID was easy because we went home, but now getting back, because of the changes in the way that you can work now, everybody will be looking at... So principally, we're looking now, instead of accommodation for 600 staff, we're going to be looking for accommodation for 1,200 staff because wow. potentially we don't... We, because of safe distancing. But, you know, we're all thinking about, you know, toilet use. We're thinking about how do you actually use public spaces, how do we even use our photocopiers and water bottles? And so it's really, really quite complex. How do you use your cars and drive your clients? And so these you know, are really, really big things, especially for smaller community organisations and um, neighbourhood houses, places like that, how, how do you keep, how are we going to keep people safe and mm. how do we do it? But I, I think it, it's going to challenge us.
2: Yeah. Uh, can, can you Tell us uh, why you kicked off Morning Tea for Culture last year, how it went, and then what's taking place this year.
5: Look, I think that we've been kicking it off. We've had um, over 100 groups registered already this year, so individuals, work colleagues, schools, childcare centres. We um, produced an online host packed and resources so people can have a morning um, tea in a COVID-safe way. Um, our staff really enjoy having remote um, morning tea, virtual morning teas. Um, they can, it, it's an opportunity for us really to sort of promote as well things around um, self determination, a lot of the work that we're doing around treaty. Um, we, the morning tea for cultures talks about important cultural dates, how to increase your cultural awareness and cultural programs, and I think. Um, It fits nicely for a lot of people around Reconciliation Week, but I think the Black Lives Matter um, really heightened people's attention and um, really commitment. Uh, We noticed that we we received a lot of donations and a lot of support during Black Lives Matter uh, the the week of that, and you know after the tragic death of George George Floyd. So, to me, it shows that you know Victoria has a very social conscious, very interest in the issue of, you know, black lives and the fact that um, obviously the overrepresentation of our people in, in the numbers of deaths in Australia is, is a significant issue as well.
2: Uh, and what are some of the attendant uh, benefits and improved outcomes associated with building a, a strong connection to culture, country and community?
5: Yeah, so by supporting our kids, I think you're helping Aboriginal children in care heal Many of our children have been through a lot of trauma and um, a lot of our work is focused on using culture. So we do um, possum skin cloak making. We do um, choir. We do poetry. We do different ways to engage children in healing. Um, our cultural pro- programs, we run camps, art mentoring to the choir. Um, we're, you know, under COVID, we're changing them a little bit. We're still doing them though because we think it's really important. We're just bringing in other people. Elders are coming in to help us. We've got lots of storytelling. We're actually working as well around disability and how do we um, reach out for children with disability. I think from our point of view, we know that kids are, who are strong in culture, and I think, you know, you've got people out there that, you know, children can use culture as their fear and their shield, and, and it, you know, helps to build resilience and improve, and improve outcomes. So from our point of view, then, the flow on a bit better health, better able to work, better able to, you know, um, I guess, be able to get a job and, and, and it creates a sense of who you are. I think the f- most important thing, and you introduced me, you said, you know, Muriel Bambler, Jaja you're the Yorta woman. For a child not to know who they are, um, the first thing we do is identify ourselves, who's your mob, where you're from. And so I think for me, the most important part of my job is giving children a sense of knowing who they are, where they're coming from. And be able to take them back and let them feel their land and understand that connection to it.
1: When, when you see kids that do, you know, find out where they're from, what kind of, you know, emotional change do you see in them?
5: I think you've got to actually live through it because um, everybody, like, living care, with, you know, 90% of them, they all go home when they leave care. And so if you don't keep that connection, if you don't feel that connection, then you set a child up for a life of disconnection. And, and it is such a different story. We we took a young boy. Um, he came from Framlingham, and I know we took him down there. And on the way down, his language was very much talking about, you know, us, people as them and they. He was just so so disconnected. But when we put him on land, we said to him, feel your land, this is your country. And anyway, while he was there the workers took him and introduced him to elders in the camp, and they told him the stories of his families and the fights and the issues and how they contributed to the community. And so at the end of that trip, though, on the way back, the language of that boy was, my people, my land. Um, mm. And it was really, really, for me, a and, and you know, like we've worked with um, trauma specialists all over the world and they say that the one thing that, you know, children need is a sense of connection. And So from our point of view, knowing who you are, being able to identify and be able to... It, it can't obviously ameliorate all the trauma, but it certainly helps as far as particularly if you acculturate children into another culture and they can't identify to that culture. And so... From our point of view, the work of you know getting children to feel proud of who their, Ab- Abri- who, who their Aboriginal identity is, to be able to do their family finding, to be able to have their Aboriginality confirmed for them instead of the constant void about I'm Aboriginal but I don't know what that means and I don't know who I am and I can't really tell you anything about my family. So I think we see it, it as critical to setting children up for a better life Mm. Mm.
2: Well, when you, talk, when you partake in the morning tea for culture, you're supporting cultural programs, uh, including the youth choir. Can you tell us about that?
5: Look, we set up the youth choir because I mean we stole it actually. We stole it from ACES because the Aboriginal Community <laughs> Elder Service, who were just around the corner from you. And so my mum used to be in the choir and the choir would stand up. Everybody wanted the choir to sing at everything. And then so we we took that and, and had our own children's choir and so um And it was a really an opportunity to spend time with children and and young people and so and and opportunities. So they weren't just kids that were in in VACA care, they were kids that were out in the community. There were some of our children, my grandchildren have been through it. So it was an opportunity for us to be able to put a number of kids together to be able to mentor. So we had different age groups and so it's been really about um, about supporting young people. I think young women tend to like it better than the boys. I don't <laughs> know that they love singing as much as the girls, but um, they've sung at so many events, NAIDOC, they've sung at the museum, we've had, um, they just, it's a request that you know, um, keeps happening, but it's also, the art mentoring is exciting as well, we get, Young people get to make art products and then Throughout that, they they make their art, and then we actually display the art, and then we'll um, you know buy them their art of them and set them up, work out how to set them up for a small business to be able to sell pieces of their art back to you know us. I mean we're, we're their principal buyer, but it sort of talks about how we try and teach them about business as well. So it's not just about painting a picture. And taking a picture home it's actually quite focused on teaching them about the value of their art and, and, and how they can use art to be able to um, you know learn other skills so all of these programs are, you know people think that we just put a program out but they actually are about learning about having a background in how do we actually connect with young people around trauma and their stories and so when we did the possum skin cloak, so we make a big possum skin cloak and each of the young people make their own cloak to put onto it. And it tells their story. And so we have elders working with them about and hearing their stories. And quite often we hear the most horrific stories of trauma, but it it is elders and and therapeutic and and caring. And so it's working through all of those and and being able to have the capacity to do that. Um, And so... We know that we can address culture through many ways. People can do writing, stories, and you know, poems. And so, it's really important, as I say, to have all of these activities. The camps, I think, for me, are the most exciting because we've got. I've got a picture in my office of a camp that backer held over 30 years ago, um, and it was all these men are all young, and they still talk about the camp and how how important that was to feel a connection and know there are other aboriginal young people that were out there with similar issues and it set up a mateship for life so mm. that's what we want is mm. good stories from a care experience
2: well to support these uh programs activities you can find out more and register for vaca's morning tea for culture go to morningteaforculture.gofundraise.com.au and we've been speaking with ceo of vaca muriel bamblett thanks again muriel
5: Oh, thank you so much for your time. As I said, thank you. your your gold to us. I mean, <laughs> you, you're sort of always putting us out there, and I just really want to say thank you so much. You put our issues up up front, and so really, really important. Um, as you say, in this sector, we don't get a lot of compliments. Child protection's not one of the really you know sexy sort of subjects that people want to talk about. Um, but it, it is you know something that our staff that I you know really, really want to put a plug in for our staff because, you know, they put their heart and soul into these jobs and they're really you know, delivering food parcels to elders. They're doing everything at the moment. So I just want to really put a plug in and, you know, thank everybody for their support of ours, but all my staff. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Triple R ah.
2: Sophie Cunningham is a former publisher and editor, co-founder of the Stella Prize, author of five books, including City of Trees and Warning, the story of Cyclone Tracy, and is now an adjunct professor at RMIT University's non-fiction lab. You can read Sophie in the new winter issue of Meangin, where she meditates on nature, community, politics, desperation and belonging in an essay titled, If You Choose to Stay, We May Not Be Able to Save You to discuss the year so far and the piece. The author joins us now. Sophie, welcome back to Breakfasters.
4: Oh, thanks for having me I, 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 under these different circumstances. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs>
3: um,
2: you, you write that 2020 seems determined to make us understand that there is no safe place. Why and in what ways has that realisation hit you?
4: I think because that my general concerns about climate change and just my person that I've been looking for a block of land and I was thinking it'd be nice to live here, be nice to live there, and then I would just think, oh, but I'm worried about you know sea rising here and worried about fires here, and I was sort of like doing that kind of loop and chatting about it with a friend, and then everywhere I even thought about um, burnt uh, during during the bushfires. And I realised I'd been fooling myself that you can really escape these things. You know, in the city we had smoke, um, which long-term, is like there is no place where you can escape the um, implication of these fires unless you want to sit in a bunker, basically. So Mm. I was just trying to wrap my head around that and try not to panic about it so much as to to acknowledge it, like there's a bit of a fantasy that you can kind of avoid, um, dodge these situations. you just got to find a way through them.
2: Yeah, and then of course the pandemic hits.
4: Yeah, and so it actually made the writing of the piece. Um, I had a lot more stuff originally in there. I'd interviewed people at bushfires and was wanted to write more about climate change policy and bushfire response, government bushfire response. But then, as you say, the pandemic hit, and I thought it was more important to look at the relationship between those two things. They're not separate events. They're, I mean, sorry, I mean they're separate events, but they, mm. they there are connections to do the kind of general you know um, environmental unraveling so yeah I just uh, I found it it, people kept telling me how sad reading the essay made me it actually made me feel better
2: (laughs) 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 cathartic yeah
4: Um, well just thinking about it and just sort of that uh, sense of just knowing what the situation is and then just living with that seemed easier than that sense of um, just a vague sense of threat and doom without really knowing what the deal was, which mm. I, drives me crazier, to be honest.
2: How do you um, think about broad issues uh, when individual people, people are just trying to keep get through 2020 individually and personally? Is it difficult to kind of pull back and look at global concerns when, you know, everything's hitting us so personally?
4: Yes. <laughs> Uh, and uh, what I found that my focus has been narrowing since I wrote that essay Do you know like right. I get real because what I'm not in a state of panic but that said if I lift my head too far above my desk I go oh. <laughs> so I've actually been working hard and trying to be really focused and in a way that I'm not necessarily usually so yeah it is difficult and it's a bit you you kind of also want to like it's a fine line between looking at the connection between things and conspiracy land, so it's, it's trying to kind of not not overreach has, was part of it, but it wasn't. I mean, with the essay, there was no overreaching. That just deforestation leads to new diseases emerging. I mean, it's more complicated than that. But yeah. you kind of, um, kind of discuss
0: the, um, I guess, the tension between having to focus on COVID-19 right now and uh, the government being able to shift its focus away from uh, environmental policy and energy policy. Yesterday, we heard Labor leader Anthony Albanese um, say that he's going to move to end this kind of decade-long um, energy war between Labor and the coalition and try and find a bi- bipartisan on the issue, how, in the context of your essay, how does that make you feel and what do you take from that?
4: Well, it's it's something I do talk about, not specifically what Albanese said. That I know when I first started researching the essay, I was thinking, oh, um, you know, what policies do we need? What do we need to do differently? And everyone I spoke to you said, oh, look, you know, we've all. There are a million different papers on the on the table. Policy has been coming up constantly. We have the answers. The issue is the will, <laughs> like the, the the lack of will to implement any range of policies that might make a difference. So I think the focus needs to be on finding a way forward rather than obsessing about the detail because any there's there's any number of policies that would help. I mean, I agree with Albanese in theory, but the absolute resistance to bipartisan um, d- discussions is is really concerning It's and it's happening around the world. I mean, I do think we're in a very dangerous time in terms of democracy. It's really difficult what the ABC and the media in general are going through because it makes it harder to kind of find that common ground or for people to feel that they can connect to political process um, that that thread between the communities that politicians are meant to represent and politicians is becoming kind of more fraught. And Morrison's absolute, um, the Morrison government's, um, the way in which they are beholden to fossil fuel industries, as it, frankly a lot of the Labor Party is, is extremely concerning. I mean, mm. it's it's not technically corruption, I'm assuming, but it just seems to me insane that most of Morrison's main and key advisors um, work from that industry. It's I've been asked on radio quite a lot about that when I was talking about the bushfires um, and when I was in New Zealand recently. And to be honest, I can't really make sense of it other than as a it, it it's it's slightly mind boggling. So I think until that kind of um relationship between fossil fuel industry and government is broken, it's hard for there to be any to move forward. I don't mean by that that the government totally abandons all fossil fuel. But that 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 kind of relationship in their role in advising advising government and de- developing policy is really really dangerous.
5: Mm.
2: You literally wrote the book on Melbourne, uh, titled yes. Melbourne. Uh, what do you, what in what ways do you see twenty twenty and the pandemic and the bushfires and all of these moving parts impacting the city that you love?
4: Well, I think I was. As I was writing, I was really aware at the hospitality industry. things about Melbourne include you know fantastic restaurants and bars, cut street life, um incredibly thriving, um, more independent arts community. there's the the um, arts community in Sydney is a little bit you know larger um, performance groups or whatever. Um and so I'm really concerned that the character of Melbourne will be extremely um, changed. Um, Certainly in the short term and possibly in the long term. Yeah, no, so it's very concerning for Melbourne.
2: Okay. Well, uh, there is more in Sophie Cunningham's Cunningham's essay. If you choose to stay, we may not be able to save you, and it ends on a point of optimism we might mention as well. It does. Uh, Yes. uh, And it's in Mianjin's 2020 Winter Edition out now. Thanks again so much, Sophie, for Uh, speaking with us. Thanks for
1: having me. See you guys. Triple R. Oh yeah, so holidays. So um, I thought um, during my holiday that I would um, treat myself. So I did go. I did go away, but I went to visit my mum, and that's you know, there's holidays, and then there's, whole mm. you know, doing <laughs> the right thing and taking opportunities to do things that you wish you could do more often, like yeah. visiting your parents. Um, so I did that. And then it was like I had to. Um, I had a couple of gigs in Melbourne on the weekend, and was like catching up with friends. So like Friday and Saturday night, I was, and because um, someone else was staying at my place at the moment, I couldn't go home. So I was like, and I had, I could have stayed at friends' place. I could have stayed at family members' places. Like it was fine, but I was just like, I think. I'm just going to book into a hotel in Melbourne just so it feels like I've been on a holiday. That'll yeah. be nice. So, and I, you know, there was criteria of things that I wanted in my hotel. Cause I was thinking about, I'm like, if I'm catching up with friends, do they want to come to the city? How do I get to them? Do I like, anyway, it Was so, so I kind of went not in the city and I just chose somewhere that was, close to home because I know how to navigate being close to home. So <clears throat> I found this place in Fitzroy and uh, the other criteria was free parking and um, and a spa. And this place had a spa room and I'm like, oh. perfect. And um, and the whole time I was thinking, like, Sarah Smith was doing this, there be no way she'd be getting in this spa. <laughs> <laughs> did you have to yeah. share it with other people? Yeah. Oh. No, of course not. No, it was a spa in my room, in ah, in the actual room. Good. There was a spa in there. so
0: Must be one of the few
2: people booking a hotel room locally who's not quarantining.
1: <laughs> What's that?
2: Who's not quarantining.
1: Oh, I don't know. You, you didn't what check you into said-
2: hotel quarantine, did you?
1: No, I didn't have to quarantine. What do you mean? No, I know you did. Well, you know there are hotels
0: designated for oh,
2: people who yeah, are isolated.
1: Yeah. I avoided the, the bridges. I was gonna. Stems.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say. Was Was <laughs> yeah, there a fifty percent? A fifty percent discount on your room.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in in saying that, like, oh man, I had. I went there. And um as soon as I like got there like, you know, checked in like Friday afternoon and like Friday morning I bought a bottle of Prosecco. I bought cheese and um and biscuits and stuff, cheese and wafers and whatever. It's a bit of quince paste and I was like, I am set. And then um I checked in, there's a spa and I I run the spa too hot, doesn't matter, why got it? Got it to cool down. Did you have a bath, um,
0: fluffy, robe fluffy robe to put on before looked you for, got?
1: Looked for it. Wasn't there. Oh. Like this this place was, man, they were generous with the stars. Like it was not, <laughs> <laughs> it was not great. <laughs> like I, once I had the spa and I got in the spa and I'm like, oh, yeah, free Wi-Fi was the other thing that um, most hotels have that anyway. But I was like, I need Wi-Fi, I need a spa, and I need free parking. And I um, got the free parking, no problem, uh, had the spa checked, and then the Wi-Fi, nah, no Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi, oh, sorry, you can't connect. And I'm like, I want to connect. Let me connect. I can't do it. Oh. So I, I tethered from my phone, and I got in the bath, and I watched um, in the spa, sorry, and I got in the spa, and then I watched um, Jules. <laughs> Perfect choice to watch when you're immersed in water. Um, Why don't you watch Jaws? It's a great movie. Why wouldn't you watch Jaws? (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. Do you know
0: Jez's top five films of all time all involve sharks?
1: Yeah, yeah. Almost. It's Rogue,
0: Oh, sorry, except for the alligator, the Rogue alligator.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Jaws. Crocodile. Jaws 2, Jaws (laughs) 3, Sharknado. Sharknado. Um, (laughs) No, nah, it's that's not in my top five at all. Take that off. Um, but I, um, oh yeah, so I had this bar and I, I, I drank bubbles in this, like you know, drank the bub- the prosecco, and ate cheese and biscuits in the spa, and it was and watched Jaws, and it was great. It was so good. But then that was finished, and I was like, oh no, this is just real sad now. <laughs> Just staying in this sad hotel <laughs> ten minutes from my home and I can't go home and oh what am I doing here? And then the shower, like it's it's especially when you're in a hotel you order you book the spa room on your own. That's just real sad. <laughs> like it's so obviously they said that it was quite romantic. And then like in the shower, there's like it's a double shower, and I'm like, well, it's just me. I don't need I don't like, need that other one. It's just
2: Thank the loudness you. of the the loudness of the jets and your own thoughts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's just so sad.
0: Did you turn on both the showers anyway and just walk sadly from one to the other?
1: Oh, I thought about it, but nah. Just thought of the environment more and oh. thought I'd save save a bit of water. Used a lot of it in the spa. Yeah. Um and then it's just so bad. And so the um, I went to a friend's place on the Friday night. I was just went back to my sad hotel and just woke up the next morning and go, What am I doing here? Like this is the worst. Like I can't you know, there's no breakfast. Like in I oh, and also in the shower, there was no shelf to put like there was no nowhere to put your soap or anything. So I'm just I get in the shower and I've just gotta Like a a washer and like a little shampoo and conditioner and a little bar of soap. Just holding it in my hands, just going, I don't know I don't know where to put this. Like I I can't I can't put it on the what am I gonna do? This is the worst. Anyway, I drove back to Venus Bay on on the Saturday like Saturday afternoon, like I yeah, I checked out. Not that there was anyone there to check out to, like they like no one was there, no one was around. There was no so, so
2: the gear in a David Lynch film.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like even they had like that security, like you know, real kind of thing, like those shop fronts. When you know when they pull the thing across. Yeah. Yeah. They had one of those across reception, so I just had to toss my key in between what? the fence, and then just yeah, just left it like six o'clock at night and went, Oh, this is, <laughs> is this is so sad. <laughs> anyway, and then but the good thing was I surprised Kath on the way home. Like, you know, I I messaged her when I was like half an hour away. I might like, don't wait up, but um I'll see you in half an hour. Yeah. Got, she got Yeah, she got very excited and I was very excited to sleep in a nice bed.
0: Triple Ah uh...
2: In Australia, children as young as ten can be arrested by police, charged with an offence, hauled before a court, and locked away in prison. Now, a coalition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander medical and human rights legal experts have launched a campaign calling for all Australian governments to change laws and raise the age. On the line to discuss these issues of incarceration is senior lawyer at Human Rights Law Centre, Shalina Musk. Welcome to Breakfasters.
6: Oh, great to have you on, have me on the show. I'm really glad. Thank you. Ec- our pleasure. Now, can you tell us what is the present situation in Australia and how did it come about? So um, in Australia, children as young as 10 can be arrested by a police charged with an offence hall before a court and locked in a prison. Uh, and that's been the state of play for um, quite a few years now um, in some jurisdictions uh, for some decades. Uh, Australia is really out of touch with what international law requires when it comes to the setting of the minimum age. The medium age worldwide is actually 14, 14 years. Um, Most modern countries have set the age. And we um, have been lobbying quite hard in Australia for the Australian government to follow suit and bring us in line with international standards. Uh, Australia has been criticised on many occasions by United Nations experts, including the Committee on the Rights of the Child, just in September of last year when Australia was reviewed in relation to its child rights compliance. Um, we know that the most vulnerable and disadvantaged children are the ones who are forced through the criminal legal system at this young age. And some viewers might be really surprised, but um, just in one year, uh, 2018 to 2019, just under 600 children aged 10 years of age were locked in youth prisons across Australia. I think that's really disappointing and really tragic to see children as young as 10 um, ending up in prisons like Don Dale because we know that those institutions uh, are rife for abuse and mistreatment. Um, That's Mm. why we had a Royal Commission in the Northern Territory. Children were being harmed and damaged as a result of their treatment in these facilities. So we're really criminalising and uh, reinforcing the very behaviours that we need to be changing rather than supporting and helping these kids in the community. Are there any children disproportionately impacted? By far, um, again, unfortunately, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children are. In terms of the just under 600 who are locked up in that one year, 70% of those kids uh, were Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander kids. Um, These children are are disproportionately impacted by this low age of criminal responsibility because of things uh, that are systemic within the system itself, so bias and discrimination, uh, as well as the criminalisation of health and disability needs.
2: And what, is this a a possible quick fix? Does this campaign have a
6: foreseeable end? Well, the chief lawmakers in Australia, uh, that are the attorneys general in Australia of states and territories in the Commonwealth, are meeting on the 27th of July to consider whether or not governments should raise the age from 10 years. Um, They've been provided with a vast amount of information, including submissions from organisations like myself uh, sorry, Human Rights Law Centre, um, Australian Medical Association, Royal Scott, Australian College of Physicians, um, the NATSALs, the Aboriginal Legal Services Peak Body um, and Law Council of Australia, who are all partners with us in a campaign, um, have provided a wealth of information, a wealth of evidence uh, as to the reasons why governments should raise the age. So it's it really just takes leadership now um, and our chief lawmakers to to make the, the right decision and to, to commit to raising the age.
1: Can you talk to us a little bit about what are the, some of the like long-term effects of, you know, a 10-year-old being locked up and what happens to them later on in life?
6: Yeah, so um, I before coming to the Human Rights Law Centre, I was a youth lawyer, um, the senior youth lawyer and manager of the youth team in NAJA, the Aboriginal Legal Service in the Northern Territory. And the children that I saw um, coming through the criminal legal system, and particularly those who spent any time in Don Dale were um, really vulnerable kids. Many of the kids, if not the majority, were children who were known to the child protection system or the subject of a child protection order. They were in the care of the minister. These children had traumatic histories, histories of disadvantage, including uh, neglect, abuse and trauma. Um, And they were being, uh, I guess they came before the courts in a way where they were being labelled a criminal um, in the Northern Territory until recently, uh, children could be identified in the media. Um, The courts were open until recently. And so um, they were effectively stigmatised by their involvement in the criminal legal system. Uh, They were well known on social media and the local media. um, And they continued to re-offend their behaviours uh, were exacerbated by the harsh treatment that they received in the detention centre. And um, many of them have gone on to become lifetime uh, adult offenders uh, who, unfortunately, um, and many of them are now in prison. Um, what I know about these young kids, and a lot of the evidence came out in the Royal Commission, is that they um, had mental health issues, disability issues. Um, a recent... Uh, amount of work done by patches, paediatricians, neuroscientists who were working to identify um, the existence of FASD within this cohort of young people, I found that so many of them um, had undiagnosed uh, disability, including diagnosis for FASD. So um, what we know is that most of these kids um, had a disability that was undiagnosed and untreated that led to, in in a really major way, um, their involvement in the criminal legal system and, of course, uh, their ongoing behaviour that led to um, further entrenchment in the system. Um, So really, we're talking about children with health and disability needs who are being pushed through and further harmed by time in custody. As you've said, you can't get
2: a Facebook account until you're 13 years old, but you can be sent to prison. Uh, Who
6: or what benefits from this status quo? I really don't understand who does benefit from the status quo because um, even if it, just take the argument of um, are we stopping crime? Are we making our community safer? And there's been a, a recent study done by the Victorian Advisory, Sentencing Advisory Council which looked at um, the age at which children came before the courts and were first sentenced and the likelihood of reoffending. And what they found was um, the younger they were, they were more likely to reoffend generally, reoffend violently. Continuing, uh, continue to offend into adult criminal jurisdiction, and to be sentenced to imprisonment in an adult court for their twenty second birthday. When they actually looked at the age, so we were talking about ten to twelve year olds. If they were sentenced by a court, they had an eighty six percent reoffending rate, more than double that of when a young person was sentenced age nineteen to twenty, which was thirty three percent. So, and they said that if we could actually re, um, delay the contact with the legal system, by just one year, you've got an 18% re- likelihood of re- reducing the chance of reoffending. So if we raise the age, we're going to reduce reoffending and reduce the entrenchment, particularly of the vulnerable and disadvantaged kids. So how can people contribute to this c- campaign? There's a petition that's uh, been launched on our website. So uh, there's a campaign that was publicly launched, I think it was last night, uh, but it's raisetheage.org.au. And we're asking people to get on board by signing the petition. Uh, It will go to the chief lawmakers and the decision makers in Canberra, um, as well as state and territory governments, uh, showing that there is widespread support. Um, Sometimes it's not just lawyers and policy people who can get the change we need. We actually need a groundswell of support from members of the public.
2: Okay. okay, raisetheage.org.au is the website, uh, and we've been speaking to Shalina Musk, senior lawyer at Human Rights Law Centre, about this Raise the Age campaign. Thanks so much, Shalina. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Thanks.
3: Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app.
1: Friday morning, and uh, no breakfasts would be complete without another. Quiz. Did we come up with a name for the quiz? Just a Friday quiz. Just, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> uh, welcome to the, the Friday quiz. Oh no, it was like the, no, I'm sure we came up with something like the break, the break classes break down.
0: Oh, That's, yeah. Yeah. It's more accurate.
1: Like it. The breakdown because it had a double <laughs> double meaning. The breakdown of the week, the breakdown. Our of Our gradual Bell. breakdown nice. as
0: humans on air.
1: Yeah. Uh, so um, it's uh, oh, you need to test your buzzers to begin with.
0: Oh, Daniel, you go first this time. Blanc. Okay. Okay.
1: Uh, ping, ping. Oh, these are good ones. Blanc, ping, ping. All right. So, best <laughs> thing about the quiz. Here we go. All right. (laughs) There's two minutes of it. You're lucky. Well, you're unlucky that I don't let it go. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, no. Question number one in the Breakfast's Breakdown Quiz. Triple mm-hmm. um, R album of the week is from Salt. Spell Salt. Ping, ping. Sarah. S A U L T. Correct. It's uh, handy for people that want to look up the album of the week <laughs> and buy it because all proceeds will go to um, Black Lives Matter charities. Question number two, uh, what should cafes do with their toast? Oh, blonk.
2: Daniel. Uh, They should come delivered pre-buttered.
1: Yeah, butter your toast. Just another community service announcement for all the cafes out there that don't butter their toast. You don't butter your toast, don't open your doors. (laughs) because <laughs> uh, i won't go through them if you do open them um question number three if you're a fan of succulents according to digger you are a what Blanc. daniel well, you're,
2: you're a succulent nut
1: yes that is correct daniel's on two points sarah on one okay question number four <clears throat> What movie did Sarah think Haley was reviewing this week? <laughs> ping, ping.
0: Sarah? Mono, a film about a high school where the cool kids all get mono and the nerds take over.
1: Mm, correct. What is mono?
0: Oh, it's um, uh, glandular fever. Kissing disease. Yeah, kissing That's disease. They call it. That's why well, only the cool s- kids get it and the nerds don't.
1: Yeah, because they don't kiss. No, market it out for the nerds <laughs> until later. Um <laughs> Uh, question number five <clears throat> When Daniel went to the aquarium What was he most excited about? Bing, bing Sarah His sweet as park out the front Yes Correct Fish were good,
2: but come on Yeah,
1: it's a good park
2: Like a 30 second one Was
1: it as good as my double park? Two, two great parks two days in a row In front of a shopping centre door In Albury in Albury, at Myers, yeah, <laughs> in the car park down below. <laughs> uh, question number six: <clears throat> Adam Hills is partly responsible for what AFL club song? Bo- uh, Blanc. blank. Uh,
2: uh, the Adelaide Hill? Crows.
1: Yeah, sing it.
2: Oh, uh, we're the pride of South Australia. We're the mighty, mighty Adelaide, Adelaide Crows. <laughs>
1: Formally. if you don't know who the players are, then you ask someone <laughs> that knows. Um, what were you going to say?
2: No, just to replace the, uh, the Camry Crows being in the theme song before it was changed.
1: Yeah, what was that? How did that go?
2: Oh, God, I can't. It was so. Oh,
1: Adelaide. Uh, <laughs> that's the other good thing about Adelaide. You know, There's no Ds in Adelaide. 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 Adelaide.
0: Adelaide
1: uh so question uh number seven scores at the moment all tied up three all oh, here we go right. um what does my nephew have in his backyard bing bing
0: sarah uh a sick b m x ramp and course
1: yep correct or skate ramp sick b m x track i we saw
2: photographic evidence, and I reckon you undersold it yeah it's absolutely
0: epic.
1: Yeah, it really is, isn't it?
0: Yeah, mm. people pay money to use it.
1: That's a great idea. Yeah, there you go. We'll get some Glen 20 out on it first.
2: But it is a rental, so I've already reported them to their landlords. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They've got permission.
2: It was, here we go, here we go, Camry Crows. That was it.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: question number eight. According to Sarah and the Hedonometer, what is the worst day of the week?
2: Blanc. Oh, you go. Oh, no. Oh, it's Tuesday. Correct. Yeah. The, um, the Dark Horse Hump Day.
0: Yeah, the Dark oh, Horse hump yeah. Day. <laughs> dump Day? Hump Day. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, they're all the same if, now. If
2: you, a, if you have a dump day, you've got a bigger problem.
1: <laughs> uh uh, question number nine, uh, I put your uh, pictures of you on uh, FaceApp and made up fictitious characters based on the result. Uh, what were their names? And tell me two facts.
0: Yeah. Oh, two facts of each. I only remembered my one. I don't know what Daniel's well, name was. Well, have oh, go. Oh, ping, ping. Sarah? Giovanni and Michaela? Yes. Uh, Michaela worked at a library. Mm-hmm.
1: Which one? Oh, shit.
0: Uh, Laverdon? No. Uh, I forgot. <laughs> Blanc, Daniel, brother Glenn.
1: Yeah. Oh, brother Ruther- Glen. Brother Library. Giovanni lived with three women. Yeah. How old were they?
0: In their twenties.
1: Yeah. And what did you do during lockdown?
0: Uh, we pl- we danced, We did. We perfected dance. Some kind of dance competition.
1: Yeah. What game?
0: Oh, dance, dance, go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just dance. 2020 and you perfected the song um by the streets fit but that's you know it right um anything else about tell me one other thing about michaela
0: i she got married in her 20s okay yep
1: yeah
2: married 26 first kid at 27 yeah. i think
1: no i don't have any kids yet you're trying, oh, right.
2: trying. Oh, I'm trying for two yeah that's yeah now.
1: but yeah you're 27 you got married to frank Many met him at university. And, in, um, in, in Wollongong? Or? No, Wagga Wagga. Wagga Wagga, Wagga. Charles St University where you've you got a Bachelor of Information <laughs> Management. That's why you work at the library now. And uh, what does your husband do? Oh. oh. Graphic designer? No. No, that, that was your that job. That was Giovanni. Um, yeah.
0: I remember the job because I felt like it was a bit cooler than what I expected her husband to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Think about it. It was a winemaker. That's right. I thought <laughs> that a, was a bit of had obscure. a winery known for its muskets. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm going to give you one point each on that. Oh, okay. thank you. Uh, it brings us to the final question. Um, question number 10. What did I bring in for show and tell and where will I put it when it's finished? Bing, bing.
0: Sarah. It was Meccano and it was a boat. Mecano, Mecano, Mechanics, Me- Techniques, Lego Techniques. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, Lego. Yeah, Lego Technique. I'm adding too many letters. Why did I think so, it was Mecano? Similar to Technique. Uh, and it was a boat. It was a um a catamaran boat specifically. And you're going to put it on, you're going to build it on your table. No, but when it's finished, oh, where you're going to put gonna it gonna... in a, uh, but the wheelbarrow of water at the back.
1: Correct. That's how exciting. <laughs> oh my God! Our lives are so, nice is at the so <laughs> shit at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> gonna put a Lego catamaran <laughs> in a wheelbarrow full of water, what? and that is brings us to the end. Sarah's the winner of the breakfast's passes oh, breakdown. Well,
2: well done.
1: Thanks for playing. Congratulations.
0: <laughs> You're gonna play the oh,
1: theme song. Yeah. Sorry. Hang on. Uh, so yeah, I can congratulations. ride away. There is the winner
0: let <laughs> up. I mean, it's it's eight fifty-six. What? Well, what am I meant to play a song now? I don't know. To, should I? I don't know. It's so close to the end of the show.
1: Oh, do you want to? Uh, is, this is sure we can just. I twi- oh, mean, we can just say
0: goodbye. I'm just gonna have to play a bit of a song and then fade it back. Is this? Is this? Okay. No well, yeah, we c- I
1: can play a bit of a song if if you know if that's what you want. <laughs> you yeah, play I a can, bit of a song, Jess. Yeah, I can totally do that. <laughs>
0: Okay.
2: It's it's hardly Breakfast's live, is it?
1: <laughs> it's not quite the same. No. I and mean, it will be great when when that comes back. We if could get a band does.
0: to come in and cover that for us. That could be the first Breakfast's live back. They could imagine that. Play it live.
1: <laughs> I love that. Anyway, um, congratulations once again for winning. I should keep a tally of um, who wins every week, so at the end, you can get a trophy or something. But, but I can look back on it, though. I think, Sarah, you've won two weeks in a row now by the looks of it. Daniel, I think you, you get too generous. You get you get a bit ahead and then you know that you're ahead and then you, you pull back. You know what? Um, I, I
0: actually try to hold back for Daniel. Like, I'll sit and be like, I'll oh, get, let him have this one. But then you just don't do anything. So I have yeah, to jump you, in. Yeah,
1: you'd both do it. You yeah. need to be more competitive, Aggressive.
0: I think. Uh, okay. well, I'm, trying to, old, I'm trying to reinvent myself.
2: The old self-sabotage.